On this week's episode of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast, former professional race car driver and longtime Tesla owner and enthusiast Leilani Munter joins me to talk about her fascinating life story as well as her Tesla story. Enjoy. Greetings, friends. Ryan McCaffrey with you alongside my canine companion, Daisy the Boxer. This is episode 314 of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast for August 8th, 2021. Well, I'm recording this a little ahead of time. I, as uh, I guess not as you hear this, but as it went this week, I was on vacation with my family and I knew that I was not going to have an opportunity to do the quote unquote live podcast during this trip. You know, it's, I hope you'll forgive me taking, you know, one or two weeks a year. I didn't last year, obviously, because of the pandemic didn't go anywhere, but just, you know, every now and again, I want to disappear with the family, completely unplug from everything. This was one of those weeks. So, uh, I wanted, of course, make sure that I had something interesting for you to listen to. And in this case, I hope you'll enjoy this interview coming up with Leilani Munter. She is a, as I said in the title, a professional race car driver who ran uh, pro races for many years, and she has since become uh, very much an advocate for environmentalism and a lot of the things, same things that Tesla stands for. And she's a Tesla owner and big-time Tesla enthusiast herself. Now, this interview was, I want to be completely clear with you, it won't make a difference when you hear it, it's still an interesting conversation, but just so you know, this, this interview was recorded quite a while ago, and the plan was, well, maybe I'll use it on my next vacation for this the exact thing I'm doing now, just to have a new piece of content for you to listen to while I quietly disappear with my family for, you know, take a little break, but that next vacation never came because of the pandemic. This was recorded shortly before the pandemic started. So uh, again, this interview is totally evergreen. It's just about Leilani and her life and her Tesla journey. So I hope you'll enjoy it. Her Tesla story as well as super interesting. Her license plate is probably my favorite personal Tesla license plate that I've that I've seen or heard about yet. But you'll hear about that in the interview. But anyway, I will be back with a regular quote-unquote, live episode next week. So here's the Leilani interview. It's about 50 minutes long. And then after that, I'm going to come back and do a few phone calls from the Ride the Lightning Hotline. And these are fresh phone calls. So I hope you'll enjoy that. And all told, it'll be hopefully a good hour, just a little bit of a different format than usual. But I hope you'll enjoy it. And with that, stay tuned for Leilani Munter. I'm very pleased to be joined this week by a special guest, Leilani Munter. You may know her. She is uh, quite the Tesla presence. She is a former professional race car driver. She is a documentary filmmaker, an activist, uh, a Model S P85 Plus owner, which we'll get into. Uh, Leilani, welcome aboard. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Ryan. So uh, the, the first thing I've got to start with you, there's there's a million things to get to talk to you about here, but I always like to know what everyone's Tesla origin story is, because 
I've told mine here and there on this podcast. Everyone sort of has their own little superhero origin story when it comes to discovering Tesla and how they found it and, and how it grabbed onto them. So I'm curious about that with you. Yeah, so I I first heard of Tesla when the original Roadster came out, and I can't actually remember, you know, how it came across my radar, but obviously being an environmentalist and being a race car driver, I think I heard about it fairly quickly. And um, so I wanted to, I had this idea to take the Tesla Roadster and have it on display at my races. And even though I would be driving a race car, a, a normal race car in the race, that I would have this cool electric car on display. And um, so I, a mutual friend introduced me to Elon via email and we started talking about it. It wasn't actually in my funds back then to be able to do an outreach program along with the racing. I basically right. had enough sponsorship dollars to race the car, but didn't have enough to do a big education program along with it, which usually about doubles the cost of going to a race. So I wasn't able to pull it off then. Um, but then flash forward um, a few years and I was at Daytona in 2012 and um, the Oceanic Preservation Society was there filming me because I was running a Cove-themed race car. And the Cove is a documentary that um, won the Academy Award. And I was a big fan. And I crowdfunded to run this Cove car. And at that race, Louis Sahoyas, the director of the Cove and also Racing Extinction, told me, I've got a job for you in the next film. And he didn't tell me what it was, um, but it was revealed to me later that they wanted me to drive this very cool uh, mobile projection vehicle and kind of be a getaway driver of this car. And when they first showed me the mock-up of the car, it's kind of funny. It was like a it was like a van with a projector on the back. Um, but of course, immediately, because the film was raising awareness about the impact of humans on our planet, I said, well, first of all, it has to be an electric car. And um, so I reached back out to Elon and um, brought Luis Ahoyas to SpaceX to, to introduce them and to sort of reveal to Elon this idea that we had to make this amazing mobile projection vehicle out of a Model S by this time. This is 2012. So the Model S is already out. Um, so I hadn't actually driven a Model S yet. So spring 2013, we went with uh, the Racing Extinction crew and I got to do my very first test drive of the Model S and obviously fell in love with it. Um, and we ordered our Model S for OPS for the, for the Racing Extinction film the car that would eventually become the mobile projection vehicle and then um, shortly thereafter I was asked to speak at an event called test live which was kind of a conference gathering of all these Tesla owners and enthusiasts in Northern California and um, I ordered my own Model S that morning right before I gave my speech and so I got my Model S delivered in September 2013 and um, I immediately began my 
initial dream of sort of outreaching to the race fans about electric cars. So I took my Model S and I would drive it to all of my races and I would tell the race fans, you know, what Tesla supercharger I was going to be at at what time. So if they wanted to come and check out the car and talk to me and just learn about electric cars, they were able to do that. We had tons of race fans showing up for that. I was trying to explain to them that, you know, electric road trips, long range electric road trips were possible. So like the first electric car trip that I did to go to the racetrack was all the way from Charlotte, North Carolina to Chicagoland Speedway. That's a whole in Julia, Illinois, but I couldn't go direct because back then there were not Tesla superchargers for a direct route. So I had to actually drive the Model S all the way from Charlotte to Washington, D.C., and then cut over to Chicago. So it ended up being this really long road trip. Um, But the fans were so responsive, and they were really curious about learning more about the car. Um, Some of the racetracks would even ask me to put the car on display, like out in front of the media center, so that race fans could get a close-up look at it. Um, So that whole initial idea that I had back in 2008. 2009, when the Roadster came out, I was finally able to do it years later in 2014 when I was racing. And um, that was also the same year that we actually, my race team became the first in history um, to charge our pit box um, on pit road using road using uh, solar power, 100% solar power. We had a solar battery pack um, with us. So it was kind of cool that it, you know, eventually I got to do that initial idea, but it just took a few years to realize it. So, um, but eventually I got there. Yeah, because you've got a P85 Plus, which I know you've spoken very highly of. I know you're, as a, as a professional race car driver, that is, you love that car. I do, yeah. So the P85 Plus, the Plus is the, the key part of, <laughs> of, of that. Um, the Plus is a, a special suspension package that they offered back in 2013. It was a $6,500 add-on, so very, very few people... Uh, ordered that suspension package. Um, however, the the P eighty five plus that I drove when I did the test drive with Elon for the for the filming of the movie that was a P eighty five plus, and that suspension package was just out of this world. Um, and I knew that that I wanted to have that. Um, so I, I, yeah, I would never trade my, my P85 plus for anything else. It's rear wheel drive. And I think it's still the best suspension package that's, that's ever come out of the Tesla factory. So what I love about Tesla is, and this clearly happened with you is you can, you can come at it. Maybe you, you agree and you're on board with the mission of Tesla, but even if you don't necessarily care about that one test drive is really all it takes, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I can't tell you how many how many friends and family and and really just acquaintances, people that I don't even know that well that I've given test drives to in in my Model S over the last you know, it's been over six years now that I've had my car, um, where those people then immediately (laughs) decide to order their own. I took my sister um, on a test drive. She ordered one, then her husband kept taking the car and it was making her upset. Uh, So then he ended up getting his own so that he would stop stealing her Model S. Um, So there's, yeah, there's actually three Model S's in my 
immediate family, um, as well as uh, two Model 3s. So... So uh, you, I, I wanted to ask you about your uh, your license plate on your car because you have posted it publicly. I, I think it's hilarious. It's one of my favorite Tesla license plates ever. Uh, I'm curious if you would, if you want to share it here and also uh, the story behind it, because I'm curious how the heck you got it green lit by the DMV. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Actually, the one that I applied for first was... Um, F-U oil. So it was the letter F and then a space and the letter U and then a space and an oil. And um, that one got, got refused. I got a letter from the DMV saying something to the effect of, you know, this this could be viewed as offensive. Uh, and so we're not approving it. And so that same day that I got the rejection letter, I applied for F oil, which um, is is spelled, I spelled it E-F-F and then space oil. Right, like phonetically, basically. Right, right. It's funny because some people don't get it. Most people get it, but some people don't get it and ask me what it means. Um, <laughs> it, it seems like it would, it would be self-explanatory, but it's not always. So my husband was kind of laughing at me. He was like, you know, they're not they're not going to give you F oil. They just <laughs> refused you for F U oil. Why are you even bothering applying for F oil? And uh, I was kind of just like, well, you don't know. I might get like a cooler person or I might get somebody with a sense of humor. You like you don't know. know who's reviewing your application. Um, and so I sent it in that day and four weeks later it came in the mail and, you know, haven't had any issues with it. I get a lot of laughs. I get a lot of people taking pictures of my license plate and giving me thumbs up. And, you know, it's just kind of for, for me, I, I've wanted to own an electric car for so many years at that point. You know, this is six years ago. But for me, it was something that I had wanted for a really long time. Yeah. Um, and there just really wasn't an electric car that existed that had all of the things that I felt like I needed as a race car driver, right? Like I wanted it to be beautiful and sexy and fast and, you know, handle great. You know, I wanted all the things that I have in my race car, but I wanted it in an electric car. And that, that really didn't, you know, that really didn't exist until Tesla. So, um, when, you know, as soon as I test drove the Model S, and I, and I still think the Model S is the most beautiful of all the designs that have, have come out of Tesla. To me, it's just their masterpiece. Um, you know, I knew I had to have it, but I had dreamed of sort of for many years having not only an electric car, but also solar panels on the roof of my house um, so that I could charge my electric car with the solar panels. And so when I bought the house, uh, when we bought the house that I'm sitting in right now, we you know, prepared and specifically chose this house because it had a nice south facing roof for solar panels. Um, Even though at the time, you know, we didn't know when or if we would be able to afford solar panels down the road. So I got the Model S delivered in September 2013. And then in January of 2014, the solar panels went up on our roof. And, you know, I was really truly living sort of this dream that I had had for so many years. I, as an activist, you know, I've, I went to the BP oil spill. I, I've witnessed so many horrific things there, um, you know, just wildlife covered in oil. And I knew that, you know, it, it was, it was part of my 
real mission in life to be able to someday not have to give any money to the oil companies. Hey, you're, and dri- you're driving on sunshine now. Driving on sunshine, yes. And so, you know, the, driving electric since 2013, but then driving on sunshine since January 2014. So that's just, I mean, that's the cleanest possible way that you can, you know, get around with your own personal vehicle, right, is to have not only an electric car, but also an electric car that is charged with renewable energy. And so I, you know, I realize it's a, it's an absolute privilege um, to get to be an early adopter and have been able to experience this for so many years. But I, I honestly feel like, as you know, being an early adopter, we sort of helped by, by buying the cars back then when it was, you know, a little bit pricier and, you know, Tesla wasn't doing as well back then, you know, we really contributed the early adopters to helping Tesla survive and succeed to the point where they could get to now where now they can, you know, produce the, the $35,000, Model Three, and I think that's you know it, it's incredible, and I'm I'm so happy that I was able to, you know, be lucky enough to be able to afford to be one of those early adopters. But it was a stretch for us, you know. We were saving up for it, and um, and we're so happy with the car. And I think, you know, someday the day will come when maybe I'll have to swap the battery. Um, but that's that's what I'll do, and I'll keep driving. I'll keep driving my P eighty five plus um, forever. I've only owned three cars in my life, and that's my third one and my final one. Yeah, I mean, you've probably got at least a few hundred thousand more miles on that battery before you even have to consider that. So you're in you're in real good shape with the Tesla. That's the beauty part. Um, so before I want to talk more about your background too, but while just while we're talking Tesla specifically, you touched mm-hmm. on the racing extinction car that you that you ordered for the film, which I do want to talk about the film as well because I watched it recently, and it's a it's a very powerful, moving film. But the car that you'll see in the film that you've you've mentioned a couple times, this uh, this Model S that that's heavily modified. So. Um, you could sort of talk about, you see it in the film, but the, the projection system that's in it, what it's capable of, and then uh, you got to talk about the paint job on this thing too, because it's pretty darn amazing. Yeah, it's an amazing car. So we actually nicknamed the car um, 006 um, because she's she's a lot like a James Bond car. She's, you know, there's only one of her in the world. She's got all kinds of these amazing uh, gadgets and things that she can do that no other car can. Um, but the film itself was about the sixth mass extinction of species. So rather than calling her 007, we called her 006. Um, so that's kind of her nickname. Like and she, yeah, she's she's very special. She has a 15,000 lumen projection system that comes out of the back of the car. Um, and And uh, with that, that means that I can project imagery, you know, from a thousand feet away um, onto buildings or mountains or really anywhere that I want. Um, And I was projecting imagery around endangered species, um, as well as, you know, we did some projections in the film that you'll you'll see when you watch it that we didn't necessarily have um, permission for on like oil refineries and things like that. Um, And that was actually one of the reasons for the paint job, um, which I don't know that that was explained very well in the film. Um, But what the paint job allowed me to do, so she is the first car in the world with what we call electroluminescent paint. And what that means is that the paint 
itself can actually carry an electrical charge. Um, so I can, with the flip of a switch inside of the car, send an electrical current to the paint and change the color of the paint. I mean, that's some um, James Bond stuff right there. That <laughs> is really James is. Bond stuff right there. Yeah. So she, when I send the electrical current, the paint actually, normally when it's off, it just looks like a plain gray Tesla, but then when I send the electrical current, um, it will light the car up. It will kind of glow a bright blue, almost like, you know, we were honoring the Oceanic Preservation Society, our nonprofit that makes these films. We focus on trying to inspire people to want to save the ocean. So we were a bit inspired and thinking of bioluminescent creatures that live in the ocean. Um, so that's kind of what she looks like. And, and she's really, truly amazing. And that's not, those aren't the only two modifications she has. I also had the ability to, um, to make my license plate disappear, <laughs> um, as well as a high definition FLIR camera that is installed in the front of the car. And I can hit a button and, the FLIR will come out of the front of the car and the FLIR has a special color filter on it that actually makes carbon dioxide and methane visible to the human eye. So I was able to, you know, for example, there's a shot you'll see in the film where I'm in New York City, I'm filming with the FLIR camera on the front of the car and I'm filming gasoline cars going by and stopping at the stoplight. And at the same time, I'm live projecting those cars onto the side of like a 10 story building. So the people sitting at the stoplight are seeing themselves up on, you know, covering sort of the wall of this building. And they're actually seeing visually the exhaust and the pollution that's coming out of the back of their car. So I think that's one of the issues that is difficult with, you know, explaining pollution and climate change and greenhouse gases is that humans are very visual creatures and we can't see carbon dioxide. We can't see methane. So it presents a problem in that I think a lot of people, um, because they can't see it, it's like out of sight, out of mind. Right. 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 It makes sense. And, and so that's an issue. And that's one of the things that we address in, in the movie is we're, we're trying to visually show people, look, this is, this is what is all around you. It's not just, you know, coming out of cars, we're showing airplanes and semis and ships, and you're seeing all of this pollution that it's funny, even though, you know, I'm not driving around 006 anymore, I can still see it in my, in my eyes. I, I, I looked so many times at this FLIR video footage that you'll see in the film that sometimes when I look at traffic, you know, I'll see in my head yeah. the visualization of all the carbon that's coming out of every single one of those exhaust pipes. It's kind of, it's kind of devastating when you see it because you realize, you know, the air looks clean, it looks clear. Um, but in fact, you are surrounded by greenhouse gases that you're inhaling. Yeah, I thought that was a pretty powerful part of the film. Now, what, I mean, I don't have FLIR cameras on my Tesla, but I wonder, have you, as someone who's been driving electric for a lot longer than I have, uh, I have found in my own life that I've become more sensitive to the smells of carbon dioxide. Like if, you know, particularly here as it's gotten into the chillier part of the year, if even if, uh, you know, if a, if a a car parked on the street has just turned itself on and then driven away. Even if it's been a couple minutes, I walk by with the dog on the dog walk and it really 
hits my nose. I don't know if if you've found that too, being away, you know, away from gasoline cars for a while now. Absolutely. I have found that I'm much more sensitive to it. You notice it a lot more because you're not used to smelling it. Um, I also had um, carbon monoxide poisoning at one of my races um, in 2015. I was racing at Daytona and um, there was a wreck. And I, like all drivers, when you're in a wreck, you're taken to the infield care center to get all of your vitals checked. And whether you're feeling fine or not, it doesn't matter. They want to check all of your vitals. And when they checked my vitals, my um, carbon monoxide was was really, really high. I ended up being stuck in the infield care center, I think, for like four or five hours, um, breathing oxygen to try and get my levels down to the point where they would actually release me. Um, and And that's the scary thing is, you know, you were bringing it up as something that you smell. Um, but carbon monoxide is actually the, that I was being poisoned by in the race car. I actually, it's, 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 um, odorless. So I had no idea. I mean, obviously I was on a racetrack at Daytona with, you know, 40 other race cars racing around me, but somehow there must've been in order for me to have the levels as high as they were, there must've been some sort of a leak, that my own um, car's exhaust was somehow getting into my cabin. Um, And so it was, yeah, it was really, you know, that was sort of a wake up call because the, the doctor at Daytona was like, you know, (laughs) carbon monoxide builds up over time. So, you know, you very well, if you had not had an accident and you had finished the race and you had been breathing in this carbon monoxide the whole race and finished it and not known that there was anything wrong because you never came to the infield care center to get checked out because you never had the wreck. I mean, you literally could have gone to sleep tonight and just not woken up in the morning because you wouldn't, but you wouldn't have known that there was anything wrong with you because the effect is that you just sort of fall asleep. And, um, and, and there's no like real signs that there was something wrong. It was, it was that I got checked out. My, my family actually later said when, when I had the wreck, normally I'm very animated. Like if there's a wreck on the track, I'm, I'm obviously emotional and upset (laughs) about it. And they said that they knew something was wrong with me because, the it, my races aired on Fox Sports, and I had an in-car camera from Fox Sports inside of my race car. So when the wreck happened, you know, it flashed to my in-car camera, and they could see me. And instead of being animated and upset, and you know, throwing my gloves and <laughs> mad like I normally am, they said I was totally calm. And I wasn't upset and I was just talking to the ambulance guy, you know, the, the, medic, yeah. the, the medic that had arrived at my car and my family and my husband were all saying like, we felt like something was wrong because it was so strange the way that you reacted to the wreck. It's not, it was not like you normally, you know, you're having a good race and something happens and you get taken out you would be upset, but you didn't seem to be upset at all. You were just calm and just sitting there quietly. And we all thought that something was wrong with you. And so, yeah, it ended up being carbon monoxide poisoning. So, um, so yeah, I, not only is, do you get more sensitive to the smell, but also just realizing that this is poison. I mean, you can die from, 
carbon monoxide and you don't even know that you're inhaling it. So it's it's really scary um, to think that that's all around us. Now, I know, you know, you might somebody listening to this that doesn't know you might think, well, boy, activism and race car driving seem to be almost at odds with each other. You know, you're driving electric, but then you're you're going out on the weekends and you, throughout your career and you'd be you'd be running these, uh, you know, what, three, four or five hundred lap races. So I know you you did your best to offset your carbon footprint from every race. Correct. You had a you had sort of a, a group, an organization that you you worked with on that. Yeah. So back in, so, so just for a little bit of background, my degree, before I started racing, I earned a degree in biology, specializing in ecology, behavior, and evolution from the University of California in San Diego. So that came before my racing life. Um, Once I started racing um, in 2007, which is when I was actually in open wheel cars, I was in um, what was called at the time the Indy Pro Series. It's a level below the the Indy Car Series. It's their development league. Um, And I made the commitment to adopt and protect an acre of rainforest for every race that I run. Um, So I actually through my most recent adoption was through the Rainforest um, Trust. And I adopted. So even though I've only run, I think I ran a total of 61 professional races Mm -hmm. in my career. I have adopted over 1500 acres of rainforest. to be protected in order to offset that carbon footprint. And then also, of course, my cars, um, for anybody who watched any of my races will know that my cars were all carrying uh, messages about renewable energy, uh, documentary films. I've carried both The Cove and and Blackfish, which is another documentary film that aired on CNN um, that's about orca captivity. The Cove is about dolphin captivity and the connection between the largest slaughter of dolphins in the world and the dolphin captivity industry. Um, I've run What the Health on My Car, which is another documentary that's actually about um, the like vegan food and plant-based diet. Um, I ran a vegan car for two years, that um, the Vegan Strong and the Vegan Powered Car, where we gave away free vegan food to the race fans. And so actually last year through that program, I ran eight races, and at five of those races, I had a big green tent that we called the Vegan Strong Tent, and I gave away the Vegan Impossible Burger, which is a completely plant-based burger, and we gave away over 30,000 of those burgers at just um, five race weekends. So it was very, very popular. We couldn't make the burgers fast enough. So all the cars kind of had activism tied to them. None of them were like trying to sell people products. They were promoting, you know, solar power or a future with 100% renewable energy. Um, There was a group I worked with that was actually a group of veterans um, that were fighting for clean energy on Capitol Hill called Operation Free. Um, I had one car that was kind of, I had all different renewable energy companies and an LED lighting company all on the car, you know, pitching in to get it out there at Daytona. Um, So the cars in and of themselves were carrying a message of activism on them rather than like trying to sell you like soda. Right. So if, you know, if people that aren't race car drivers 
You know, because you know, most everybody listening to this podcast is either driving a Tesla now or pl- or has plans to at some point in the in the future. You know, but I know there are a lot of people out there now that kind of think about, well, what about you know, I fly a lot for my business. Is there uh, is there a way that people can do the the you know rainforest adoption to sort of try and offset things when they fly? Do you have any kind of quick tips for that? Absolutely. Yeah, there are so many worthy nonprofit organizations out there in the world. Um, And I'm on the board of three of them. um, One being Oceanic Preservation Society that makes the documentaries. Um, But there are plenty of, you know, not just rainforest, but I would encourage people to also consider the ocean. Um, Very few of charity dollars that are um, earmarked for environmental issues are directed towards the ocean. The vast majority of them are directed towards land issues, um, which is great. And certainly, you know, the Amazon is, you know, they like to call the Amazon the lungs of the earth. Um, However, that's actually not completely accurate. So, Um, anywhere between 50 and 70% of all the oxygen on earth is actually coming from our oceans, from phytoplankton. And ever since the industrial revolution, since we started burning fossil fuels and putting greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, the ocean has been acting as a carbon sink. And so it's absorbing a lot of that carbon that's going into the atmosphere is actually being absorbed by our oceans. And that's making our oceans more acidic. Um, And it's causing all kinds of problems with um, shelled creatures because they cannot create their shells because the pH of the ocean is changing to the point where it's becoming too acidic for them to be actually able to form those shells. Um, And the phytoplankton blooms have also been dropping every single year. So that should be of concern to us. I mean, when you're breathing right now, like take two breaths, one of those two breaths came from oxygen, that oxygen came from the oceans. Um, so, so really it's, you know, the Amazon, yes, as far as like land-based lungs of the earth, yes. But the ocean is our true lungs of the earth and we have to be taking care of it. There's a fantastic film um, that was not made by Oceanic Preservation Society that I work with, but was made by a friend, um, Jeff Orlowski. It's called Chasing Coral. And it is about the loss of our coral reefs. And as a scuba diver, um, that's a really devastating thing to see. So um, I definitely encourage people to look into whether you're doing your offset with rainforest or whether you're doing it with maybe supporting renewable energy projects like some solar projects or wind power um, to also look at contributing to ocean organizations that are focusing on saving our oceans because that is really important to the health of our overall planet and unfortunately it tends to be the one that is neglected the most and I think again it's that out of sight, out of mind. Like I said earlier, you know, we can't see carbon dioxide and methane going into the atmosphere. So it's like, we don't realize that it's happening. And I think a lot of the planet doesn't live near the ocean. So we're not seeing these coral reefs dying. We're not seeing it dying before our eyes, like the people that live there. Um, But the ocean really needs our help too. So uh, I'm not done with you yet. I want to get a little bit more into your racing and and car background, but I, uh, but this seems like a good point to 
to give the the film a plug, so Racing Extinction is that I, I watched it recently. I thought it was I got I got emotional in a few different parts. It's uh it goes into a lot more detail about the 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 oceanic and just general earth and, and animal issues that you're speaking about. It's a it's really a, a really really a great film that's worth a watch, and it's it's available just about anywhere you can rent or buy films. Other than Netflix, it's sadly not on Netflix, but uh, I think I watched it through. I made it. I can't remember if I rented it on Amazon or YouTube, but it's it's pretty much everywhere. Do I have that correct? Yeah, it's on Amazon, YouTube, Google, iTunes. Um, yeah, it's pretty okay. easy to find. Most it's just called ones, Racing yeah. Extinction. It came out in 2015, and you know, I worked on it. Gosh, since February 2012, I guess was when that race was where I ran the Cove car, and they told me that they had a job for me. And then actually, at the end of Racing Extinction, um, on our last day of filming, you'll see some really large projection events that we're doing in New York City. And uh, when Louis like said cut on the final take, um, he then asked me to join the board of Oceanic Preservation Society. So I've been now serving on their board um, since 2015, and they do incredible work. And Racing Extinction, it's probably one of the you know greatest honors I think of my life that I got to be a part of that film. Um, to, to be a, a, a small part of it, you know, I'm mainly, you're going to see me behind the wheel of the Tesla and, um, and that was a big, you know, chunk of my life. It's funny when you see the film, you'll see, you know, some projection events in New York city and it's not much of the film, but that was like, you know, many weeks of my life. Yeah, so you're running from the police in this movie, in this documentary, <laughs> uh, you see, uh, Elon Musk is in the movie. You see, uh, the, the, of course, 006 car, which is just a phenomenal thing to see for any Tesla fan. That's in the movie. You see the Tesla factory as it was in 2012, uh, which is neat to see. So Tesla fans definitely have plenty of good reasons to watch Racing Extinction. Hey, real quick, um, I, I remembered I was going to ask you, where is 006 now? Where does it, where Where is it hiding? Um, so 006 is in California. Um, she is actually Elon's car now. Um, and she's been improved quite a bit <laughs> from when, uh, I turned her over, uh, to Elon. She's, um, she's even better now than, than she was when she was in the film, but she can do all, she can still do all the fun, cool things, um, that you see her do in the film. And she was actually at the Model 3 reveal. I so if there was that. anybody. Yes, I was there. Oh, do you remember her? Okay, so she was there in the audience yeah, and then the she was the projecting. Yeah, yeah. She was in the middle of the crowd and then she was kind of projecting onto the, you know, the, the, the wall of the factory. Back of the stage. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so she's still around and um I have taken her out a couple of times. I took her out. Um, there was a vote happening um, around solar power and net metering, um, not just in California, but also in Las Vegas, where I took her out and was projecting uh, some imagery around um, solar power and the importance for um, us to continue to move towards solar power because some of the votes that were going on were taking away some of the uh, net metering and 
some of the rights that customers have to, you know, if you invest, invest all this money putting solar on your roof and, and your electric company is then taking that power and selling it to your neighbors, like you should be compensated for that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there were a lot of battles going on with utility companies across the U.S. And I actually ran two race cars that were uh, highlighting this issue the call, that was my energy freedom car, um, where I was trying to educate people about these things that are happening in different states where the utility companies are sort of fighting um, to take that ability away from uh, homeowners. And, you know, obviously, if you have a roof and you want to put up solar panels, you should be allowed to do so. And if you're pumping that energy into the grid, you know, you should be compensated for that because you've essentially become your own little, your own little uh, power source there mm-hmm. for the electric company. So there's a lot of these little battles. So I, I, I did take her out in California and in Vegas to sort of raise awareness around these solar battles that were happening. Um, so she's not, you know, she, she hasn't been out in a while because she's had, uh, she's been being improved. Um, but hopefully you haven't seen the last of her. I hope that we will still get to, to take her out. And, you know, I really look at 006 as kind of being her own activist. Um, we never put her together with, you know, the idea that she was one day just going to sit in a garage and, and collect us. We always want her to be able to be used to raise awareness about, um, you know, not just endangered species, but also all of these important issues, these, these, these things that really humanity has to change about the way that we're living on this planet, whether it's, you know, moving to renewable energy or changing the way that we eat, the way that we're living to, to live in a way that doesn't destroy the world around us. And so I really consider 006 as much more than a car. She is, um, she is an activist in her own right. And I was lucky that I got to drive her. Well, I, I, for one, hey, Elon, if you're listening to this, I think Elon should start a little uh, public Tesla museum where people can come and see sort of the history of electric vehicles and sustainable energy. And I think Roadster One should be in there, which I know, you know, Elon has and he broke it out. He brought it to the Model Y event. Uh, I think the, the, the prototype Model S should be there. I think 006 should be in there. I think the prototype Model 3 should be in there. could be a really cool thing. So... Uh, Elon, oh, that's a good idea. Yes, Elon, I think you could do a lot of public good and education with a, with a Tesla museum that that highlights the mission of the company. Anyway, uh, back to you here, Leilani. Before I let you go, um, I, I am curious. You know, you mentioned and you, you had told me off air about your your background, about your biology degree from San Diego State, and um, how you uh, see San Diego. Thank you, thank you for that. Um, so I'm curious how how you get from sort of from there to, to into racing. So did you, did you like cars ever since you were a little kid? What sort of your, how did you end up as a, as an activist race car driver? I'm very curious to that, the, the sort of, I guess, Cliff's Notes version of that story. <laughs> right. I know. Yeah. It's not a typical um, journey. I, I started a bucket list in high school Um I always have that's, felt that's that. Dark. Don't you think that's a little? That's, you're a young person. No, I, well, I mean, but I, <laughs> I. Well, I'm not so young anymore. But I, but I was young when I started it. But I don't know why I have always had this. Um, 
I, I've always felt that we just don't know how much time we're going to have here. And so when I started the bucket list, I remember my friends in high school having the same reaction of, as you. They were like, that is so morbid. <laughs> <laughs> bucket lists are for old people. Why Why do you have buck, bucket lists? But um, I mean, I think a lot of the things on my bucket list are things that I can't do when I'm really old. Right. So it's not something that I want to wait and, oh, I'm going to do my bucket list when I'm 70. You know, I mean, some of the things are, you know, hang gliding and um, jumping off bridges, doing bungee jumping, things like that, that I don't think I'd be able to do. Maybe I could, but I don't want to press it. Right. Um, a lot of them are places I want to travel. A lot of them are places I want to scuba dive. Um, but one of those things on my bucket list was to drive a race car. And that was partially because I kept getting in trouble for speeding um, because I've always loved speed. I'm afraid of heights, but I, I, I have always felt really comfortable going fast. And um, I got in trouble. I got a lot of speeding tickets and um, I felt like I want to feel what it feels like to drive a car, to push it to its limit and to not have to worry about getting in trouble. Right. And so it was just a thing on my bucket list. I planned to do it and never do it again. Really, I was just going to check it off the list and that was it. Um, but then I ended up being the fastest car in the track. There were like 40 drivers there that day. So this, this and I was the only school. woman. Yeah, this is at a racing school. And I was the only woman there. And um, I was the fastest car in the track. And I was actually a second quicker than um, the instructor. Nice. <laughs> and uh, and so anyways, there was a there was a local race team owner, like a regional uh, NASCAR team owner that um, came over to me and said, you know, what are you doing here? Who are you with? And I explained that I was by myself, that I had saved up my own money to come to the track. And he thought that was very unusual. He kind of said, you know, usually when women are here at the track, they've been dragged by like their husbands or their boyfriends. They don't even really want to be here. It's just, it's a very unusual one that you came here on your own, but two, you were also super, super fast. And, um, you know, you should really consider doing this, like becoming a race car driver. And um, I was Wow, what a, just, what a cool like, thing well, for somebody to say to you. That's awesome. Yeah, well, and I and I was kind of immediately like, well, I don't have the kind of funds it takes to drive race cars on the weekend. Like, that's not it's not a cheap sport. And he just kind of pointed out, look, there's very few women in our sport. You you've shown that you're you're you've got some natural talent. You enjoy this, um, and and you're unique because you're a woman, and there are so few women in this sport. So I think that you should, you know, you might be able to find a sponsor to help you get started. So. I started the following week looking, I went to a sports marketing company and explained like, look, I don't have racing experience, but you know, I'm being told I am quick and that I've shown some promise and I want to get out on the track and just run like short track Saturday night, you know, racing, uh, in, this is in Southern California. And it took me nine months to find my first sponsor. Um, and I ran my first race in August of 2001 at Cajon Speedway in San Diego, which it's since been torn down. It's not there anymore. Um, and I fought for the lead in my first race and I just, I fell in love and I was like, I really want to do this. And, um, it was kind of funny. There was a moment where, 
you know, when they're doing the gentlemen start your engines, which is <laughs> what they say to start the races. Um, and the guy had to change, you know, he had to change the starting words. He had to say, lady and gentlemen start your engines. And I remember just like hearing him say that and knowing that I was making them change the words that started the race, like gave me goosebumps. And I just, I felt like I had won just by being on the starting grid, like just by making them change the words. Like I was showing that like women could be out there trading paint with the guys. Um, And then I fought for the lead and I really, I earned some respect, I think. And um, I was encouraged then by the people that I had raced against And uh, yeah, so then shortly thereafter, the following year, I moved to North Carolina and I raced for 18 years. I retired after Daytona in February. I ran my last race there and, um, you know, I I had a great time. I got to drive all kinds of amazing cars and um, raise awareness for a lot of these issues that I care about. Um, But now I'm, I'm really focused on making... Uh, documentary films with Oceanic Preservation Society, and I'm sort of starting over, I guess, a, n- a new career. Um, yeah, new challenge. A, a new, yeah, I've turned over a new leaf, and um, it's been an amazing journey, but I'm excited for what's still to come. Well, I got to ask you before I let you go, uh, as, you know, Tesla, I think one of the first things that that's associated with Tesla when you just say that name to anyone, that that, you know, car company name, people think, okay, electric, but then probably the second thing they think of is, oh, those things are fast. So, you know, we, we Tesla owners, we tend to like speed. We tend to enjoy speed. Uh, I have to ask you, what is it like physically and sort of emotionally to drive, to, to bring a car to 200 miles per hour? Oh, it's amazing. It's, the focus that you feel, it, you really feel like the whole rest of the world disappears. Um, I actually remember when I first started racing and I first started to experience this slow motion where I would be out on the track and you're, you know, you're going really fast, but I was seeing it in slow motion. And I've heard other athletes actually talk about this. I've heard baseball players talk about how when they're in, they call it the zone, when they're in the zone that they can actually see I've heard people say that they uh, baseball players say that they can see the threads. The seams on the ball. Yeah, absolutely. on the ball, like spinning towards them. I, because it's almost like everything stops and you're seeing it all in slow motion. And that's how I'm experiencing it when I'm out on the track. And everything fades away. And, and race day is always very hectic, right? There's, you know, the media is there. It's live on television. Your sponsors are there. Oftentimes my family is with me. And you have to do autograph signings. There are all these, like, things that are pulling you in 50 different directions all at once. But then you climb into the car and the net goes up and my helmet comes on and it's, it's like all of that is gone. The crowd is gone. The sponsors are gone. The cameras are gone. It's just, it's, you feel completely so immersed in this one thing because you can't, make a mistake. You're, you know, you're going 200 miles an hour, like inches next to other cars. You have to be completely focused. And there's this amazing, um, feeling that I get when 
all of the rest of the world is gone. And I'm just 100% focused on this one thing. And it's an incredible feeling. And there, there, there's, there's not too many, um, moments in life where I feel that, where I feel like all of the distractions that are around us are gone. And, and I'm not thinking about anything else. I'm not feeling hungry. All of your other needs kind of fall away and you're just 100% living in the moment and you're just concentrating on like hitting your line. And then, and then it's funny when I turn on the television and then I watch the race later and I see how fast we're going. I'm like, wow, we're really, we're really, I'm really hauling the mail there. Like I'm going 200 miles an hour, but it doesn't feel like that actually when I'm in the car it feels really slow. I'm not seeing it in real time. I'm seeing it in like, I don't know, half time or a quarter time. It feels very slow. So it's almost a strange thing when I see it on television and it's like, we look like we're going so fast. And I know that's how fast we're really going, but that's not at all how it feels to me in reality when I'm doing it. Well, that's that's a superpower is what that is. You're describing superpowers. That sounds awesome. <laughs> uh, Leilani Munter, thank you so much. Your your racing career may have come to a close, but your documentary filmmaking and activism career is just getting started. Uh, the film to, to go watch, if you're listening to this and you enjoyed hearing from Leilani, is Racing Extinction. You can find you can rent or purchase it on most of the major video on demand services other than mean old Netflix who needs to get off their, their hinds and, and uh, get the rights to get this film on Netflix as well. But rent it, watch it somewhere. Uh, Leilani, thank you so very much. I, I, uh, I so enjoyed getting to know you this past year in the Tesla community and uh, love what you do for the Tesla community and, and beyond that. So thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Brian. And if I could just add one more thing, if there's yes. any teachers listening, um, you can go to racingextinction.com and the film aired on the Discovery Channel and Discovery Education has actually built out lesson plans that are free for any teacher to download. Um, so you doesn't matter what grade you teach, there's lesson plans for all different ages but if you just go to racingextinction.com and then you click on the education tab, any teacher can download these free lesson plans um, as a free resource that Discovery Channel built um, when the film came out. And so it's a great way to educate your students, you know, not just about the human impact of, on our planet and all the animals that we share it with, um, but I think it will really inspire your students as well. So I hope if there's any teachers listening, they'll check it out. Brilliant. Thanks so much, Leilani. I appreciate it. Thank you. As promised, it is now time for the Ride the Lightning Hotline. Your calls here, just an abbreviated version of this. I'm going to do a few calls, clear a few. There's plenty uh, piled up, lots of great stuff. Love hearing from everybody. Again, if you want to call in, I invite you, I welcome you to do so. You can call in in one of two easy ways. Either use your smartphone's built-in voice recording software and then email that file to me at teslapodcast at gmail.com. Or you can call and leave a message toll-free on the Ride the Lightning hotline. That number is 1-888-989-8752. Again, that's one 888 989 TSLA. 
Either way, please try to keep your call to 90 seconds or less, a minute and a half, so that I can get through as many calls each week as possible. And by the way, if you know someone special with an upcoming birthday, anniversary, graduation, or some other special occasion, you can give them a unique gift of recorded voices from friends and family telling them why they're special. The recordings can be podcasted or put onto a keepsake. Visit lifeonrecord.com to learn more. First up this week is our old friend Keith the Tesla Hillbilly. Good morning, uh, Ryan. This is uh, Keith, the uh, Tesla Hillbilly, actually calling from uh, vacationing and traveling throughout the uh, state of Phoenix, and uh, or rather the state of Arizona, and I was uh, thinking of you. I uh, understand you have relatives here, and uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Also, uh, understand there's a little NBA playoffs going on there, and the Phoenix are ahead uh, two to one, so... Hopefully they can make it as I have no skin in the game there and uh, know you are pretty vested in that. Anyway, I digress, Ryan. I do have a question here related to Tesla, and that is uh, in regards to the Cybertruck. Uh, currently, the portable charging cords that we get with our vehicles are able to handle up to 32 amps when charging uh, your vehicle there. And depending on the vehicle, that might get you anywhere between uh, uh, low to high 20s uh, per hour when you're charging. Uh, my question was on the truck there, when uh, somebody like myself might be out hiking at uh, different uh, RV areas or they might have RV hookup areas uh, in state parks or at a work site or even at my father's that has uh, uh, capability or plug-ins uh, for up to... Uh, uh, sending 60 amps across there, like a, a 1460 uh, amp there. Is it possible that uh, Tesla might include or have the option of having a cord that actually allow 48 uh, or so amps to go across and then allow, allow you to charge uh, faster on uh, that vehicle with a bigger uh, battery pack and everything? Anyway, as always, uh, Ryan, uh, thank you for taking the call and the uh, information that you give out to uh, the community. Uh, here's to you and your family, and of course, Davey, having a good and uh, rest of your day. Thank you. Uh, well, Keith, sadly, the Phoenix Suns obviously did not end up closing out that series with a victory, but anyway, let's talk Tess a little bit. It's great to hear from you. I have a little bit of good news for you, at least. The current mobile connector will do up to 30 miles per hour of charge on the three and the Y. I know you said high 20s, but it's a tad better than that. But I hear you though, and you bring up a good point. The Cybertruck is going to have a larger battery pack, particularly that tri-motor 500 mile range version, and charging that from almost zero on the existing mobile connector would take, just from my quick math, around 16 to 17 hours, which is really not good. That's uh, that's pretty darn slow for a you know a, a reasonable what 50 amp 30 amp uh, wall outlet there so it's not just a, a 110 110 trickle charge there that's that's a long time for a for a significant plug but anyway the point is I hope Tesla does step up their offering there ideally with the connector that's included with the truck but at the very least as you suggested offering say a lightning version that could take more juice. Hopefully Tesla also includes higher amp onboard chargers in the Cybertruck as well. The original Model S had an optional 
80 amp onboard charger, which in hindsight was probably overkill for what was a 265 mile range car. Now the chart, the onboard chargers that are in the cars are 48 amps. So just as a point of comparison there. So we'll see what they do with the Cybertruck. Thank you as always for your call, Keith. Victor from New Zealand is up next with a little PSA. Hey Ryan, I see you get updates from countries outside of the US, so here's a bit for New Zealand. Previously, someone sent in an update that there is a rebate ongoing in New Zealand for about eight and a half grand for the base model three, which is the rear wheel drive standard range plus. And now, last week, Tesla NZ dropped their Model 3 price by three grand for all the variants, but only the Model 3 and not the S or the X. So this works out to be a discount of about 11 and a half grand just in July. What a steal. So this brings the base price of the Model 3 to a near retail price of the US. Now NZ does not have the Y yet, but I hope sooner rather than later as the Model 3 comes out from Giga Shanghai. Tesla is on the pricey side here, so with this discount, I hope to see more Teslas on the road for an even greener NZ. Cheers and keep up the great work there. Victor, thank you very much for that update. It is really exciting to see there be near price parity with the United States for New Zealand here. And really, it's that's always nice to see in any other territory as well. It obviously varies greatly from territory to territory, but as you said, that will only encourage more Tesla purchases in other countries, and you love to see it. Thank you again for that. And one more caller for this week. Here's GK from Lake Jackson, Texas. Hello, Ryan. This is GK from Lake Jackson, Texas. I got a question about the uh, FSD subscription. I was wondering if I'd be able to purchase it this month. I know I need to cancel it, and then repurchase it again in two months. And we keep doing that only when I needed to use it, make it a long trip or something. So I wonder if you can use your influence with Elon, your buddy, to uh, check into that. And another thing, my son has a 2016 uh, Honda Civic and has a camera on the mirror. So when he turns to make a right turn or a lane change, the camera shows on his screen what's in his blind spot. I wonder if that could be an option on the on the Tesla as a software update. Just checking in, seeing how you're doing. I love the show. And uh, say hi to Daisy the Boxer for me, please. Bye. GK, thank you for your call. Yes, you can indeed go month to month on that full self-driving subscription. That's one nice part about it. There's no year-long commitment or anything else that's required. So just use it for the months that you want and you're all set. Now, as for the cameras that turn on when you put the blinker on, like you noted in Hondas, I also, uh, not too long ago actually, drove a Honda that had that, and I agree, it's really cool, and it would certainly be wonderful to use the Tesla's built-in repeater cameras for that, and lots of people have, have had the same thought. It's been tweeted at Elon, and Elon has acknowledged it as something that is in the works, so hopefully we will see that feature brought to the cars sooner rather than later, although it is already one that it's been a little while but I do trust that it's still in the works. Take care, GK. Thank you very much for your call. And again, I welcome anybody and everybody to dial in to the Ride the Lightning Hotline. Be a part of the podcast. I love hearing from you. If you want to participate, I gave you the call-in information at the top of this segment. All right, one more super quick break. I'll be back with your pro tip of the week and a wrap-up right after this. 
Well, as I said at the top, as you hear this, I will have hopefully just had a safe and enjoyable time away with my family, and I hope all of you guys out there are having a safe and enjoyable summer as well. Here's a pro tip of the week. It comes from John from Cream Ridge, New Jersey. Bit of a heavy topic here, but it's one that's worth hearing just in case. John, go ahead. Hi, Ryan. This is John from Cream Ridge, New Jersey. Wanted to call and share a few tips about what to do if your Tesla is in an accident. So first thing you're going to want to do is touch the dash cam button or honk the horn if you have that feature enabled to, to record the incident. Next, it's worth noting that Tesla roadside service does not cover the vehicle should it be in a collision. So you may want to confirm that you have additional coverage through your insurance company. The, the Model Y and Model 3 have tow hooks in the front trunk, um, which can be accessed via the front bumper. Um, there's a small disc that can be removed and you can put that in place. Uh, in order to place the vehicle into tow mode, you're going to want to go onto the touchscreen under the vehicle menu, service, towing mode. In order to do so, you're going to need your key in place to put this into tow mode. This will put the car into neutral, even if the car is otherwise unable to be driven. Um, in our case, we discovered after towing the vehicle that the 12-volt battery had been damaged from the accident, and we were unable to otherwise access it. In order to reinitialize the car uh, and give it power back, you can access, there's two wires in the front bumper on that little circle that was removed for the tow hook. Hook up a 12-volt battery charger, and it will pop the frunk. At that time, you can remove the plastic guard underneath the hood up near the wipers and access the terminals for charging the battery. Hope this helps all your listeners in times of need and hope you have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your experience here, John. I hope first and foremost that you and your family are okay and that secondarily, hopefully your car will be back in your garage soon. And hey, while I'm handing out hopes here, Let's hope that nobody who hears this will ever need these tips. But as I said, introducing this, it's good to hear them just in case. So all the best to you, John. If anybody else out there has a pro tip of the week that they'd like to share with their fellow Tesla owners and enthusiasts, please call in with it. Uh, same way that you call in with the regular Ride the Lightning hotline. Before I go this week, I, of course, want to mention some friends of the podcast. Let me start with... Immaculate Reflections, wonderful detailing talent. That is Jeff. That is uh, the, probably the second thing on his, well, definitely great person, number one, great husband, great dad, uh, third or fourth, I guess that would be his great detailer. He's very good at what he does. I can't recommend him enough. If you are in the San Francisco area, Bay Area, the greater Bay Area, I should say, and the uh, you're going to be here with your car, Stop by an Immaculate Reflections. You got to book in first, just FYI. I know you can't really drop in. He books up a bit in advance, but it's worth it because his services are wonderful, whether you're doing paint correction, paint protection film, or ceramic coating, or some combination thereof. I highly recommend it. Your car will look amazing and be easily kept amazing. That's what I've learned about detailing after having really learned a lot and spent a lot of time with Jeff and had a lot of done on my car with Jeff is detailing yes it's about beautifying the car you know having it look as good as it can but the real i think secret sauce or at least the thing that you actually get out of it is in, in the long term is it's really easy to keep your car looking awesome 
It's not just like a one-time, well, I waxed it, and now it looks great for till the next time it rains. No. When, when a professional detailer gets done with your car, it becomes very easy to keep it looking great. Because if you've got the ceramic coating on there, if you've got the paint protection film, if you've got paint correction, it just becomes very easy to keep your car looking factory, awesome, and new. Anyway, uh, if you do visit Immaculate Reflections and have uh, one or more of Jeff's services performed on your car, mention that you're, well, when you're booking, mention that you're a listener of this podcast and there's a little discount in it for you. So go to irdetailing.com to learn more or to get in contact with Jeff. And then how about abstractocean.com? So many aftermarket Tesla accessories from, uh, from center console wraps to screen protectors to uh, rear footwell lighting kits, all kinds of stuff. You got to just take a look. It only takes a minute. Abstractocean.com. Type that in, press enter, and you're done. You will suddenly have in front of you a whole virtual warehouse full of really excellent Tesla aftermarket accessories. Pile everything that you want into your cart. Then when you're ready to go, use the coupon code RTLPODCAST at checkout to get 15% off of your first order. That's RTLPODCAST, all one word, no spaces for that listener discount. Thank you, Abstract Ocean. PureTesla.com slash RTL. That's your one-stop shop for all dash cam and sentry mode needs. I use this in my car. The $49 kit will get you 128 gig micro SD based USB solution that just plugs in, plays, works. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to think about it. It's a long-term solution. Grab one. PureTesla.com slash RTL. And then Jada. They've got a whole bunch of cool stuff. I'm a big proponent of the wireless charging pad, but hey, the USB hub console is pretty sweet. And then I just got the the Jada tray, which splits your center console in half horizontally. And on that top bit, there's a nice just trays to organize things, including wireless charging for your Apple AirPods or Pixel Buds, as well as your smartwatch. You can stick that on there, magnetize that on there, and charge it up as well. So really useful products over at Jada to uh, get yours. Well, first, make sure you get the discount. Use the coupon code RTL. And then the place to go to shop and use that coupon code is getjada.com slash R-E-F slash eight. And Jada is spelled J-E-D-A. Finally this week, the Patreon. That is the primary way through which you can voluntarily choose to support my efforts here on this podcast, and I humbly ask that maybe you consider it at some point. Maybe it's today, maybe it's next week, maybe it's next month, but hey, maybe at some point you go, you know what? I really like what Ryan's doing. He does it every single week. Hopefully you think he does a great job, and maybe you want to support me Uh, It is very much appreciated if you are willing and able to do so. To learn more, go to my Patreon page found at patreon.com slash Podcast. The support tiers start at just five bucks a month, or you could do the yearly option, just pay once for a year's worth of support, and you'll get a 5% discount for doing so, and you'll still get whatever the perk is. So that first, that base sport tier perk is early access to each week's episode. Then you go to the next one and it's the monthly bonus mini episode 
and the early access, and it just keeps going and keeps stacking. So check it out, patreon.com slash Podcast. I would be very, very grateful if you would. And I think that's just about it. I'm on the social medias, specifically Twitter and Instagram. Same handle on both. It's DMC underscore Ryan. You can always email me, teslapodcast at gmail.com. That's the podcast email. And uh, that'll about wrap it up. Other than saying hello to the Plaid Maximum Plaid and Roadster and Space to your Patreon supporters. Now, if you're a new supporter at one of these levels and I didn't mention your name, I apologize. It's because I'm recording this again before my trip. So I had to record it a bit ago and I will get your mention in starting on next week if you are so kind as to have joined either the Plaid, Maximum Plaid, or Roadster and Space Tiers. Let me start with the Plaid crew. Thank you to George Cassioppo, David Brander, Alexi Heft, Logan Willis, Jason Chalukas, Tim Hyde, Peter Chalet, Eric Randolph, David Nondahl, Jerry and Mary Smith, Joel Sapp, Dory and Steve Guberman, Jeremy, the Tesla Owners Club of Taiwan, Ron Lee, John Cody, Charlie Gillespie, David Perella, Sunil Joseph, Dennis Peake, Stig Mickey Jensen, Jeff Angwin, Chase Cabanillas, The Lydia Family, Michael Regal, Aaron Altshul, Jared Brown, Jerome Strack, Jamie Dalton, Noel and Lucy Murphy, The Tesla Owners East Bay Club, Paul Casarino, Ryan Natchett, Mike and Barbara from Louisville, David J. Howes, Travis Krenzel, Matt Nixon, The Tesla Owners Club of Wisconsin, Jonathan Zelezny, Joshua Walker, and Rick Dean. And the Maximum Plaid crew, thanks so much. Jonathan Wales, Cameron Clark, Daniel Grummer, Seth Capello, Nick and Tony, Tesla Hitchhiker 42, John Schmidt, Stan Roth, Howard Anthony Smith, Charles Galpin, Ryan from Las Vegas, Darren Nickel, Kaz Barnes, Ulrich Lassa, Brett Libano, Patrick Wisniewski, Gil Cabrera, Hay Watley, Eric Brown, Mark Eversoll, Todd Badger, Joe Edgel, Kevin Yank, the Tesla Owners Club of San Joaquin Valley, Michael Williams, MT, Will Stedman, Tyler Smith, Mait Suaru, Derek Nesselrote, Justin Perez, Jeremy Harris, Chris Beach, Tom Mills, Alex Brem, and Matt Kalen. And finally, an extra big thanks to the Roadster in Space tier backers, Pete White, Lyle Austin, Steve Radspinner, my friend on Twitter, at Rodam, Fernando Cordero, Lawton from Chicago, Sean Neidig, Scooter Ward, Neil Weaver, Jackson Wallace, and Crafty Geek. Thanks to all of you for very generously and very continuously supporting my efforts here on Ride the Lightning via Patreon. That will about wrap it up for me. Back to the regular format, regular, you know, again, quote-unquote live episode next week with all the current news. But for now, I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Leilani. I've really had a great time getting to know her over the last few years at various events and things. Her story is just fascinating and amazing to me, and I hope you got a little some of that based on the interview on this episode. So for Daisy the Boxer and Leilani Munter, I'm Ryan McCaffrey. This was Ride the Lightning episode 314, and I'll see you next week.
I mean, I think a Tesla is the most fun thing you could possibly buy ever. That's what it's meant to be. Our goal is to make it's it's not exactly a car. It's actually a thing to maximize enjoyment. It's maximum fun.